Hello, world. I'm Roger Corville, and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible, where we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. You ready? Let's roll. Welcome. Today in Luke chapter 16, we hear Jesus give some warnings against avarice and wealth, which are directed to people who were in danger of failing to respond to the gospel before it was too late. But what does he say that they should have done? Hey, Hopeful, welcome to For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible and the first day of autumn here in the Pacific Northwest or in the Northern Hemisphere, my favorite season. We might even call today's episode the Pumpkin Spice Edition, for those of you who care about that kind of thing. In any context, welcome to the part of our journey together where we read through every word of God's revelation of Himself, Monday through Saturday, and consider our own life and work stories in light of that, including the fact that money touches down pretty much in all of those areas of life, and it reveals our hearts. And Jesus has a suggestion. Now, there's a crazy idea. Luke Chapter 16. Now he said to the disciples, There was a rich man who received an accusation that his manager was squandering his possessions. So he called the manager in and asked, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you can no longer be my manager. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed from management, people will welcome me to their homes. So he summoned each one of his master's debtors, saying, How much do you owe my master? He asked the first one. A hundred measures of olive oil, he said. Take your invoice, he said to him. Sit down quickly and write fifty. He asked another, How much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat, the man replied. Take your invoice, he told him, and write eighty. The master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd than the children of light in dealing with their own people. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with what is genuine? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, since either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I'm going to pause right there. Some of you who've been around this Christianity thing for a while, remember that that line, which is kind of a famous line, says you cannot serve both God and mammon. And that word mammon was just was transliterated um, in the King James. And I always thought, well, why did they keep the old word there? And it was because there wasn't a really good direct translation. The word money and mammon don't... Mammon is a bigger idea. It's like stuff, right? You can't serve both God and money. is like you can't serve both God and spending too much time on the ball field 
or you can't worth you you get you you know where I'm going with that. Continuing, their Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things and scoffing at him. He told them, "You are the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts." For what is highly admired by people is revolting in God's sight. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God has been proclaimed, and everyone is urgently invited to enter it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for us for one stroke of a letter in the law to drop out. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery, and everyone who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, Remember that during your life you received your good things, just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all of this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you, so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house, because I have five brothers to warn them. And to warn them so that they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told them, If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. <laughs> Ooh-wee! That is uh, a rather potent chapter 16. Notice the reasoning or the rationale. God, uh, Jesus literally using logic. If then, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, and what does that mean? Right? Remember the reference to Moses there means the law or the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Oh, that we're reading right now. And the prophets, right? That would be two of the big three chunks of the of the Old Testament, which is the the law or Moses, the prophets, and then the writings, which tends to be like the wisdom literature. That's why we have kind of our th- general three segments here. But if they don't lose, listen to even the Old Testament, they won't be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. What is Jesus doing? He's affirming the truth and permanence of the Old Testament scriptures, in this case, the moral law. And yes, many theologians, it's useful to point out, make a distinction between Old Testament moral law versus civil and ceremonial law. And I think that's a useful thing to keep in mind as it helps us understand that which is eternal versus temporal or situational. 
as we read the Old Testament, and frankly, even the New Testament. Now, that said, we're at the part of Moses' second speech in the book of Deuteronomy, where the discussion of the law is in the process of uh, him talking about general covenant stipulations before turning to more specific ones. Deuteronomy chapter 7. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess, and he drives out many nations before you, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and Megabites, I always got to throw that in, seven nations more numerous and powerful than you, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, and you defeat them, you must completely destroy them. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. You are not to intermarry with them and you must not give your daughters to their sons or, and t- or take their daughters for your sons because they will turn your sons away from me to worship other gods. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will swiftly destroy you. Instead, this is what you are to do. Tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, cut down their Asherah poles and burn their carved images. For you are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord has had his heart set on you and chose you, not because you were more numerous than all the peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors, he brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So know that the Lord your God is good, the faithful God who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commands. But he directly pays back and destroys those who hate him. He will not hesitate to pay back directly the one who hates him. So keep the command, the statutes and ordinances that I am giving you to follow today. If you listen to and are careful to keep these ordinances, the Lord your God will keep his covenant loyalty with you as he swore to your ancestors. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will bless your offspring and the produce of your land, your grain, new wine, fresh oil, the young of your herds and the newborn of your flocks in the land he swore to to your ancestors that he would give you. You will be blessed above all peoples. There will be no infertile male or female among you, among among your lives, you or your livestock. The Lord will remove all sickness from you. He will not put on you all the terrible diseases of Egypt that you know about, but he will inflict them on all who hate you. You must destroy all the peoples the Lord your God is delivering over to you and not look on them with pity. Do not worship their gods, for that will be a snare to you. If you say to yourself, you know what, pause. I I know that sounds weird, particularly if you are new to this Christianity thing that God just said, go destroy all these people. Recall here that... um, there is, at a minimum, an image of our hearts here, right? He's asking for the purity of our devotion to him. And I'll just leave it right there. Uh, Meaning, you keep rooting out that secret sin and give yourself fully because having a little bit will lead you further astray. If you say to yourself, these nations are greater than I, how can I drive them out? Do not be afraid of them. 
Be sure to remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and all Egypt, the great trials that you saw, the signs and wonders and the strong hand and outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all the peoples you fear. The Lord your God will send hornets against them until all the survivors and those hiding from you perish. Don't be terrified of them, for the Lord your God, the great and awesome God, is among you. The Lord your God will drive out these nations before you little by little. He will not be able to dis- you will not be able to destroy them all at once, otherwise the wild animals will become too numerous for you. The Lord your God will give them over to you and throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed. He will hand their kings over to you and you will wipe out their names under heaven. No one will be able to stand against you. You will annihilate them, burn up the carved images of their gods. Do not covet the silver and gold on the images and take it for yourself or else you will be ensnared by it before it is detestable to the Lord your God. Do not bring any detestable thing into your house or you will be set apart for destruction like it. You are to abhor and detest it utterly because it is set apart for destruction. End of chapter 7. We'll do one more, but I'm just going to point out one thing. Notice here that he says, you'll not be able to, you'll not be able to destroy them all at once. Otherwise, the wild animals will become too numerous for you, right? In this case, God said, here's why I'm going to grow you in that direction, right? In terms of giving you what I promised. So I think that's useful for us to remember. Uh, Sometimes we pray for healing or deliverance or sometimes God's purpose is to grow us in a particular direction. Chapter 8. Carefully follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and take possession of the land the Lord swore to your ancestors. Remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness so that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your ancestors had not known, so that you might learn that a man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord." Your clothing did not wear out, and your feet did not swell these forty years. Keep in mind that the Lord your God has been disciplining you as a man disciplines his son. Remember that word disciple, discipline, disciple means teach, right? We often think of it as mama, grandma used to take switch to grandpa, or you know what I mean. We're just going to leave it in there. That's you and me having a conversation. Keep in mind that the Lord your God has been disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. So keep the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams, springs, and deep water sources flowing in both hills and valleys, a land of wheat, barley, figs, vines, and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without shortage, where you will lack nothing, a land whose rocks are iron and from whose hills you will mine copper. When you eat and are full, you will bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commands, ordinances, and statutes that I'm giving you today. When you eat and are full, 
and build beautiful houses to live in, and your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold multiply, and everything else you have increases, be careful that your heart doesn't become proud. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions, a thirsty land where there was no water. He brought water out of the flint rock for you. He fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your ancestors had not known, in order to humble you and test you, so that in the end he might cause you to prosper. You may say to yourself, My power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth in order to confirm his covenant he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods to serve them and bow in worship to them, I testify against you today that you you will certainly perish. Like the nations the Lord is about to destroy before you, you will perish if you do not obey the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 7 and 8. Oh, God wants good things for you, my friend. Oh, it's a beautiful... But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth in order. Why? In order to confirm his covenant, he swore to your ancestors. So the next time you eat a meal and you say, thank you, Lord, for this meal you've provided... Remember, he's he's confirming his covenant with you. My friends, if that just doesn't blow your mind, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what does. I mean, in the wilderness, God humbled Israel, right? So that they would learn to depend on him, not saying it was my power. And remember that Jesus taught this same principle of dependence using the figure of the vine and the branches in John chapter 15, right? As the branch depends on the main stock, so we depend on Jesus to live in a truly fruitful life. Ah, my friends. All right. Wisdom segment today is picking up in uh, Proverbs 15, beginning at verse 5. A fool despises his father's discipline, but a person who accepts correction is sensible. The house of the righteous has great wealth, but trouble accompanies the income of the wicked. The lips of the wise broadcast knowledge, but not so the heart of fools. The sacrifice of the wicked is detestable to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he loves the one who pursues righteousness. Discipline is harsh for the one who leaves the path. The one who hates correction will die. Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more human hearts? A mocker doesn't love the one who corrects him. He will not consult the wise. A joyful heart makes a face cheerful, but a sad heart produces a broken spirit. A discerning mind seeks knowledge, 
but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. Lord God, I pray that we would be pursuers of wisdom. Lord, um, help us to see money as more than just money, Lord. Um, help us to allocate our time, our energy, our hearts, Lord, to, to you instead of mammon. And Lord, I, I pray that if anyone here has come against a spirit of deception or a spirit of condemnation of that Old Testament God that seems kind of weird, Lord, I pray that you, that just today, Lord, you would reveal yourself again as just not only the same comforter and counselor and loving Jesus that they see in the New Testament, but the Lord who, who even if we don't understand you, Lord, the Lord that the God that wants good things for us and says, I created you. I know what's good for your flourishing. Lord, would you help us to see you that way today? I love you, my friends. Amen. Amen.